2: I am Tara Carter from Clovis, New Mexico.
0: And I'm Lindsay Fitch from Boulder, Colorado, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 22nd, episode 2524. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning.
1: Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle Ain't as rough as a life
2: in between. And the well, thanks for joining us on the fourth Tuesday of each month. You can find us on horsesinthemorning.com. Look for Carter Ranch Horse Western Day icon in the middle of the page to find past episodes.
0: On today's show, we're excited to bring you our guest, Nina Hammerness, and she's going to be talking to us about some grooming tips and what it's like to sail fit uh, yearling horses. And then, of course, we're also going to continue on with Trevor Carter. And today we'll be continuing to talk about the two rain. And he's going to talk to us some about hackamores and rains and bits and makers and how they're made and what he looks for.
2: Well, we did a recap of the last series of the snaffle and the hackamore. And Jen did a great job of putting that all together so that we could sort of have it in one segment. So now we're back with progressing with other parts of the bridal horse tradition but we're also back in general uh i don't know we've we've started resuming horse shows here uh, our kids are back
0: in school so what are things like for you lindsay where where you are uh things are starting to kind of go a little bit back that direction for us um i don't have any kids so i <laughs> don't have to deal with that complication but Certainly, like hearing the updated complication of what all that's like from all my friends like you that do have them. Um, then I've just been doing a little bit of traveling around. Um, I'm actually in Salt Lake at the moment for uh, my friend, my one of my best friends, who also trains and rides with you all, Lalan Roquet. She got married on Saturday, so I was a bridesmaid, and I made a bunch of uh, custom rope wreaths for her wedding um and i've pumped out a bunch of my other rope wreaths for you know people are inspired in the fall and would like some new decorations so yeah i mean things are definitely picking up and and back getting back to it a little bit more yeah
2: that's good yeah we should definitely give a shout out and a congratulations to lalon and damien on their wedding yeah so yeah and you are are
0: getting ready to go to the fraternity here soon aren't you
2: we are. It feels like all the shows were on pause, and then they all got shifted back to the fall. And so I feel like we've been at a show every other day. <laughs> um, we went to Vegas, and they moved the stallion stakes back. It normally happens in April, so we went to there. Uh, they did that event, moved it back. Trevor and Calhammer had a great run. They took on – they re- have a repeat for the limited open championship uh, they were even leading the intermediate for a while. So that was pretty fun. It's it's really cool to be able to make progress. Uh, and it was kind of fun to see progress at the exact same show, uh, even though it was a little bit later. And then now we have the Futurity coming up in, in October. And one of the things that they're doing at the October Futurity this year is really exciting. I don't know that I've had a chance to tell you about it. But they started adding some kids events. And so they're going to do this thing where they have a buckaroo class, and the kids get to go in, and depending on their age and experience level, they get to go in and trot a little pattern or lope a little pattern, and then at the end, they get to work a flag. So instead of calling for a cow, they're going to go and work the flag. So the kids are super excited about getting to go and do that. Uh, so that's, that's going to be a neat addition to the Futurity this year. So I think I was thinking of you when they were talking about it. I was like, Lindsay would love to watch that.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. I didn't even know that they were going to start adding that in. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the...
2: Clayton Edsel, who's one of the top trainers um, there, they, he shows a stallion called He Sparks, and He Sparks is sponsoring those classes for the kids. They're going to have a bouncy horse race, which I believe Clayton has participated in before. <laughs> uh, they're going to get to decorate their own stick horses, and we did this—we did a stick horse race when William was, I think, three, maybe two or three, here in Clovis at the fair. And he just kept getting bucked off. Like he would cause himself to get bucked off. So when I told him about this, and he's really fast. So like as a parent, you're like, oh my gosh, you could have won this thing. (laughs) But you just kept bucking yourself off for whatever reason. So uh, when I told William about the stick horse race, he got all excited. And I thought, okay, does he want to like redeem himself? Or is he thinking it's going to be another fun show? I don't know. So this could get entertaining.
0: So he's gonna need to lope his stick horse down a little bit before he goes in. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, we should see the warm up the warm-up arena for the kids before they do their
0: stick horse race. Oh, uh, so yeah.
2: Pretty. That's just one thing I love about all these events is, you know, they work so hard to make it a great event, but they also work hard to make it family friendly too, and especially with with all the changes that have gone on with school, you know, they even set up like a little homeschool area at the Vegas show. So it's just really cool to see how everyone is helping everybody try to move forward and, um, you know, keep doing the things that we love. So speaking of the snaffle bit coming up, we actually have a guest, Nina Hammerness. Uh, she's someone that, who I met at the snaffle bit, and she is going to share with us more what she does to help horses at this specific time of year. Well, it's that time of year when yearlings are going to sales and end of year finals and shows are starting to happen. So we asked Nina Hammerness of Hammerness Performance Horses to come on and talk to us a little bit about her sale fitting program for yearlings and what she does to help keep show horses looking their best. So good morning, Nina. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having
2: me. So, Nina, first, just tell us a little bit about... Uh, where are you from and how you got into horses?
3: Okay. Uh, originally I'm from Reno, Nevada. Um, and when I was little, I really wanted a pony. And so of course like every family does, they bought me a pony and it kind of went from there. One pony turned into 27 horses <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> on a small little ranchette outside of, at a Reno. And my mom and I showed hunter jumpers until I graduated from high school. And then when I graduated high school, I went to Colorado State, got a bachelor's of science degree um, in animal science, uh, started on the rodeo team there, and played a little indoor polo. I just love horses, so it's easy for me to go off in any direction as far as riding d- goes. And and then after, the, after I graduated, I got a cutting horse and got into the cow horse deal. And now here we are, living in Stephenville, Texas. My husband trains cow horses, and I'm working for a vet hospital.
2: (laughs) How quickly did you go from one pony to 27? Like, I feel like when you said that, it happened overnight.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It sort of seemed like it. (laughs) Um, I'd like to call my mom a quarter. And so oh. <laughs> she, <laughs> we started out with one pony, turned into 200 jumpers, turned into a couple paint horses, <laughs> and then a draft horse. And so we, yeah, it, it was probably over a span of four or five years.
0: Okay, now, that's...
3: and it's, it's sort of strange. I mean, this, this, these horses are now in their mid thirties and still doing great so my parents are stuck with now five horses and so it's very it's impressive it's great to me and be to live the lot get to live awesome lives back home but
2: yeah. yeah so what was it like to go to college and then transition from hunter jumpers to the rodeo team like did you do that there or did you sort of dabble in rodeo before you went to college
3: no uh-uh, i did it there um We, we, I had a paint horse that, who was more Western style than English and, and they didn't really have a, a full equestrian team. I mean, they had an equestrian team at CSU, but it wasn't what I was hoping it was going to be. And so I just went towards the rodeo team and trained my pleasure horse to try to run and turn (laughs) barrels. We weren't very fast. But we had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So then, yeah. so then you went from oh, then you got a cutting horse. Is that what you said?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, cutting horse. She was older. She she sort of taught me what it was to cut a cow out of a herd and drop my hand and and have her work. She, I mean, we didn't win any gold medals, but uh, we we did well. And then from there, I got a we bought a three year old uh cow Horse and I was riding with a trainer in California, Kenny Wold. And so he showed her at the snaffle bit. Uh made the intermediate open finals and was a half a point out of the open finals on her. And that that point I decided I hated being an owner. Because my name was <laughs> the one right below that open finals line. And so then I started I tried to tried to show her and it went really well. Um won a couple buckles. Um Showed her, learned how to go down the fence. Showed her in the hackamore, and then she got hurt, and so turned her into a broodmare. And and at that point, where we, we had moved to Spearman, Texas, Luke and I—I I met Luke showing horses in California, and then um, Luke got a job working for Boyd Rice in and, and Spearman, so we moved out there, and that's kind of when that's kind of when the horse managing, I guess, took off for me.
2: Yeah. So, what was, what was your mare's name that you started cowhorse with?
3: Um, I'll be Lena's legacy. She's can, an I'll be smart out of a smoke and milk mare. She's pretty old school bred, but she was a nice horse, kind of tall, mm-hmm. leggy, but she tried hard. She was really good down the fence. So.
2: Trevor had a horse an I'll be smart horse that he just loved. And, uh, yeah,
3: she, she is smart. She, she, She's really talented for being a bigger mare, and that's actually the the mare that Canada's horse is out of.
2: Oh, uh, okay. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah, I, I ended up selling her to a customer, and so they've had some babies out of her. She's she's only she's only had a couple babies. Um, she's kind of hard to breed now, and so the babies she's had have have won some money. So it, that's been exciting to see that. I think the beginning of next year, the end of this year, we might have the opportunity to get her back. And, and I, I kind of, am hopeful of that. Um, I think it'd be fun to have her back and, and try to raise a couple more babies out of her. Oh, cool. But so I'm for turning people- into my mom again because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm starting to board my own horses. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I guess you could say I learned the hard way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's just for people who don't know. So, uh, Kendra is a lady that rides with you guys, uh, that helps train with you and Luke. And so that's really fun that you had a mare, uh, that had a foal, and now one of your friends and clients owns and successfully shows this horse. So that's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, it's, it's been really exciting. Been that's the biggest part for me is watching, watching horses, not even horses that we've had, horses that I've come in contact with and watching them. Go on to do great things, and then also produce great things too. That's that's really fun for me.
2: So, when you say that you moved to Spearman, and you say that's when your horse management started happening, is that where you started getting into sale fitting yearlings, or what? Describe a little bit I, more what you meant by. That.
3: Well, I I was sort of the I guess it's because this is English based uh, podcast, right? Well.
2: Well, a lot of listeners are English. Uh, have okay. do English as yeah, so There's mean, definitely Western. I, I,
3: I would be sort of equivalent to a groom, or like a barn manager. Um, so it's just I take really good pride in how horses look. I think I think the biggest thing, is, no matter whether you do good or you don't, the way you look when you walk in the show pen is your first. Or the way you look when you walk into the show ring is your first initial impression everyone's going to get of you. And so that's working for Boyd. We'd ha- we had 100 horses on the property at one time, or we'd take 23 horses down the road to a horse show. I wanted them all to look just as good no matter how they were bred or how they were going to do when they-, when they got done. And so that's, that's sort of where that took off was I had the opportunity to see a lot of great horses and to manage a lot of really special horses to me and, and great horses for different, um, for different owners. So my job was to take care of them, make sure they were feeling good and looking good. And so I'm passionate about that, I guess. I don't
1: know.
2: Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. So you did like a little series one time on you guys. It was on your personal page, or I believe it was on your Hammerness performance page, and you just shared some of your show tips for help keeping a horse groomed. Um, What I guess let's start with what would be the same or different um, when you compare like your English grooming experience to your Western grooming experience. Is there any difference?
3: No. uh Uh-uh. Uh, the key to me the key for me, as far as making those horses look so good is curry combing i um, mean you can't i i think it's just bringing those oils up off the skin, just really getting all that dead hair really worked out of them so I mean you start every every time you pull them out of your stall and every time you put them away, curry comb them that was the biggest thing for the yearlings too. Um, before you work them in the round pen, really give them a good curry and then a brush. And I don't really wash. I don't really like washing horses a lot. I think it dries their skin out. But um, yeah, I, I brush them a lot.
2: Okay, I didn't know that about curry combs. I always just like curry combs for the winter when the mud gets stuck in the hair and
3: yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Little there's this lifesaver plate. Uh, excuse me, lifesaver little deal and they're like gloves, and they have a little Velcro on the back, so you slip your hand in. It's like a glove, and then on the on your hand side is like a built-in curry comb. The fingers have these little bumps on them. And so you just put those gloves on and you just start rubbing all over your horse and it's, they're amazing.
2: I always, I've seen those grooming gloves and I always feel like, I don't know, I just, I picture myself wearing those grooming gloves and then I picture the hair on my lips. (laughs) 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 Like that's that's exactly, like that's the first thing I go, oh, I cannot use gloves.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm really worried about chapstick. I have to have it constantly. It's probably <laughs> like a nervous tick. So some people do a lot of different things. I just apply chapstick. So <laughs> hair on the lips becomes the moon to you after you after you become an addict have an addiction to chapstick.
2: Okay. All right. Good to know. Uh, yeah. So when did you start getting into sail fitting? Because that's more than just grooming a horse and having it look good. Like that that's a whole other involved piece.
3: Well, we were we worked for Boyd for seven years, and and we we never really had any yearlings. He didn't really care to have sail horses, and and now having our own business, I kind of realize why sometimes when you're trying to get three year olds ready to show, the last thing you want to do is have to worry about a bunch of sale horses too. Um, but what when we moved, we worked for Boyd for seven years, and then after those seven years is up, we decided we wanted to move closer to home because Spearman's about. 21 hours from where both of us live. So we moved to California, worked on a small ranch in outside of Hollister in a little town called Tracy, California. Um, I say small ranch, but in California it was, t- it was over 250,000 acres. Um, and so I had some um, some friends of ours that needed to have some horses taken to sales, and so that's when I decided that I'd, I I want to try doing a little sale fitting business. And, and it worked out really well. Um, the horses weren't bred great, but they, they sure looked good and they, they fit out really well. So, so that's when we lived out in California for about five years before we moved to Stephenville. And so I, I took on some sale horses there. Um, Luke had some horses to show. And so I, I hadn't, I haven't honestly done a whole lot of sale horses, um, but the ones I've done have, have been pretty successful. So that's been fun. Um, the yearlings every day, you just got to get them out. You have to where our facility wasn't set up with a walker. So yeah, either got, I either got them out and then took them on long walk and took them over hills and in water out in the arena, just kind of exposed them to everything. Oh, and then other days work them in the round pen. I mean, you can't, they're just babies. You kind of got to switch it up just so they kind of understand that they're, I'm also trying to get them broke. So getting them out for exposure is the biggest thing for me.
2: What do you, do you do anything to help them prepare that for the transition from being sale fitted at home to actually going to the sale? Like, I mean, is there, are there any things that you do to help them prepare for that move in their life? Oh man,
3: you spend, you spend hours and hours trying to teach these things to load in the trailer (laughs) and some load easily in the first five minutes and you close the door and drive around the parking lot or drive them around the yard for a good 10 minutes. And then you spend another couple hours trying to get them off the trailer. (laughs) I think a lot of it is just patience. Um, You take the time to have patience with them. So I'll, That's why I take them on those long walks or I'll just do silly things, walk them through a barn, walk them in a stall, leave them in a stall for a little while, bring them back out, make them tie for an hour or so, and then put them back in their stall. I mean, it's just a lot of all those experiences that you think are, are easy when you buy a broke horse. It's, it's all those ones that you do to try to have them prepared for that. That at least that's what I try to do stack them out so just take like a um just like a grocery bag like a plastic grocery bag and on a on a piece of like the end of a stall fork and and just kind of rub it all over them until they get used to that um those sort of i think just like not desensitizing them to the point where they're numb but just enough to where they understand that the next step is the big
1: city.
3: One
2: of my favorite stories is uh, we had a gal that worked with us. We and we have a, a sale here in Clovis, and so what they do is they have an incentive program um, where if your yearling goes through the sale, then in the future there is a competition that this horse will be eligible for and it has some added money because whatever the horse sales for as a yearling, they take a percentage of that sale price and then they put it toward that competition's purse. So we, we had four yearlings and Lee was getting our horses ready and we're a lot like your mindset where we'd like for them to be able to go, whoever purchases those horses or if we even purchase them back ourselves, that we want them to be ready to be started under saddle. And so Lee's, you know, worked on the flag with them and she's got them doing all kinds of things. Well, we go to this sale and so Lee just takes the flag with these yearlings to go through the sale and they're all, <laughs> she's like riding by guys on horses and she's, you know, shaking the flag and having the horse move around yeah. and move at time quarters. <laughs> and she said, I just didn't even realize that I was just clear in the place because some of the other <laughs> horses were not prepared for that experience. <laughs> so. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, it's it's great in the in the long run. I like to have them, like you said, have them broke, ready, ready for somebody to throw a saddle pad on them and then a saddle, and and get to working them in the round pen. And then like guy also told you when we we're at that show. Sometimes it is a negative because our my horses don't look as snappy as other people's horses when they get worked in the round pen, just because they're they're ready for the next step. They're they're ready to get started. So yeah,
2: like, they think, oh, oh kind of yeah, dull, but
3: no, it's, yeah, Oh sorry, sorry. it's more, sorry. they're more broke than they are, they're not dull, they're just more broke.
0: Yeah. So, Nina, tell us a little bit about, like, any of us that have been to a horse show, we've always experienced something either going really well or not going well that, at the time is not funny, but in hindsight is really funny. Do you have any good stories to share with us like that?
3: Oh, let me think. I mean, there always is a yearling that I always wonder what's going through the handler's head. So when you when you have your sale horse, especially at Fort Worth, this is an, a real eye-opening experience to yearlings. So you're in... They never really leave the building. It's kind of like a little mini Las Vegas for them. So you're in your, in your stalls and then you go from the stalls. There's hundreds of people walking by the stalls, looking at these horses and they want you to pull them out, set them up, walk them down the barn aisle. You go, I mean, the whole time you're brushing them, cleaning their stall. Champion Peppy is the spray I use to make them look shiny and, and smell nice. And so you're spraying them up and then you get down in this alley. And you're sitting there and you're waiting because they want you to come like 20 numbers ahead. So then there's, you're in this kind of tight alley and there's people up against the wall just viewing your yearlings. And the whole time you're setting them up, making sure they're, they're looking confirmationally put together well. And then when you get to the door, it's just like a little man door. And this handler comes out and he takes your your yearling from you. You have to put a sail halter on it and walk it into the ring, and you—I can—I can only imagine what this guy's thinking when you have these big, strong stallion yearling stallions coming at them. And the next round is they open up the door and the yearling walks in there and they're supposed to stand while they're trying to auction them off. And I don't—I don't know how many times I've seen the handler almost get pawed down. I just. <laughs> I, I don't know it's not it's not supposed to be funny but sometimes it's funny to me because you never know what this this yearling's going to do when it walks into this tent and the announcer starts rambling off numbers and pedigree and and so I mean to me that's to me it's kind of comical but it, it's it's not comical for for the handlers and then when they come out I lost one uh last year to be honest in the alley <laughs> when they got out you have to switch halters and thank goodness there was this little catch pin to the right. And so I go to switch halters thinking this horse is going to be fine. And it, he made it through the entire sale process and we're leading it out and we're switching the halter. And he darts off. And thank goodness someone was standing in front of him got him in that catch pin. So I, I probably would have been trying to catch him down uh, down the road in Fort Worth. Because once they get up, the alley, there's, it's a straight shot outside. So. Yeah. Oh, the, behind right, the scenes is go. definitely sometimes a little <laughs> a little touch and go. Uh, it's um,
0: you have- when you said when you said that you're unfortunately like you see some of the yearlings try to take out some of the handlers as they like get like clawed down and are leaping and jumping around. I just had such a good image of like the cartoon of what that would look like. Like, not funny oh, yeah. happening, but definitely funny for who's spectating it. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And yeah, have you ever had like a really neat experience of either somebody that you've met that was really inspiring or, um, you know, just kind of like blew your mind that you met while you were doing this?
3: Oh, I've met a, a lot of Really special people to myself. Um, I'd say the owner. We sold a, a one one time mare that was in full. That's sort of how I met Terra too. Um, was, we had this black mare we hauled out for a friend of ours, Susan Schwabacker. And uh, yeah, Susan's been pretty. She's been pretty special to us because she she pretty much took us in like family when we moved back to California because uh, the town we moved to we didn't know a whole lot of people and she she pretty much is taking care of us like a second mom um and so she she'd probably be one of the most special people I've met since I've been taking care of sail horses she's a she's a really great lady uh shows cow horses really well uh look up to her a lot in that sense and and she didn't I mean she sent us down sent us these to Texas with her mare and we didn't really know what to expect as far as how she's going to sell. And, and she definitely sold for more than we were hoping for. And I was just happy for Susan at that point. It was, it was a really fun experience. So it's, every time you take the reins or take the lead rope and and go to these horse shows and, and sales, and you never know who you're going to meet. And, and it's a great experience to, to get to meet really genuinely nice people um, that will literally do anything for you.
2: So. Yeah, the horse industry a pretty cool place. Well, Nina, what uh, what's on the horizon for you guys?
3: Well, we're getting ready for the 2020 snap a Bit. Luke has two horses to show, and the three-year-old, uh, the futurities and they're they're looking pretty good and i don't know that's it really i don't have any sale horses this year i'm still trying to get We're we haven't we've only been back in texas for about a year and a half and so it's it's a little hard to there's so many bigger fill fitting companies here um i do work for uh not so much western bloodstock the sale company but the company they use to fit their horses so during sales i'll i'll go and help them get horses ready to go down into the show ring so just kind of get them cleaned up and and make sure they're ready to to walk in the ring and so that's sort of how i'm trying to get out there as far as getting a little group of sale horses together and uh and that's it uh we're we're just looking forward to the snaffle bay Futurity right now Good. I guess well, what, you learn when you own horses and and have your own training facility and and all that you you kind of work month by month. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then some months are really busy.
3: Yeah, like like, like October. Yeah. Yeah. September or October are, are pretty pretty full of of uh well there's not a day off. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go well Nina yeah. where can folks find out more about
2: you and Luke
3: uh we have a a Facebook page Hammerness Performance Horses and I um well that's that's the other thing I'm as far as sail fitting goes I put in I put in fake tails too Oh yeah. and so uh both sales and horse and horse show horses as well and so I really need to make a Facebook page for that but it's it's I kind of use it on my personal page and then on our hammerness performance horses page, but I'm a Heidi helper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I like to call myself. <laughs> so, Nothing yeah. like a good tail to make a, a horse's hiding look nice. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, Nina, yeah. for taking time to join us and look forward to seeing you guys at the snaffle bit and good luck to you.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Good luck to
2: you guys too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Better- I forget that she calls her business the Heine Helper. I think that's
0: hilarious. Yeah, that's a pretty clever little name. I am just a little bit in amazement that she went to the when she went to college that she didn't know anything about rodeo or had never done any of the events and she was like, All right, well, this is where I'm going. Like, oh my gosh, like I definitely wouldn't have been that brave to have done that. So that was really cool to hear her share about that also.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like she said, I just love horses so I can find any way to to get along and find something to do. So that's pretty cool. Well, speaking of keeping our horses looking great, feeling great, let's hear from our sponsor, Horseware.
1: In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimise swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe.
0: You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice vibe.com or horseware.com or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe circulation therapy from horseware.
2: Now it's time for the bridle up segment where we're still going through each of the stages of the vaquero Bridal horse tradition the snaffle, the hackamore, the two rein, and the bridle. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse, and training tips for using and progressing with each. This month, we're gearing back up in with the two rein. So, Trevor, thanks for joining us again this morning.
1: You bet, glad to be here.
2: So, we've gone through the snaffle, we've talked about the hackmore, and last time we talked about the two rein and sort of the form and function of it, but now. Uh, we're ready to go out and get our two rain set up. So can you help us know what to look for when we're picking out the different, you know, what are the different pieces of the two rain setup? Remind us of that. And then kind of tell us what you look for when picking out each of those pieces.
1: Sure can. So starting off, you want to think of a two rain hackamore, something's going to fit underneath a bridle. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of time they're called pencil. Will solve. So, if you think of the size of a pencil, that's fairly small, and so the size of that two lane hackamore is going to be uh, about three eighths or smaller. So, uh, our hackamores we're going at you know three um, five eighths uh, a half inch, and and now we're looking to get a smaller hackamore to fit underneath the bridle uh, that we're going to use uh, in time of need. So, it's going to be a fairly small hackamore, and thinking of you're going to have the same rain setup. The rain setup is going to be a McCarty line. that's uh, horsehair. Uh, it's uh, just to be able to help signal using your two-rain hackamore. Um, but it's going to be a loose fit. A lot of people see those underneath the bridles, and they think it's another cavuson. Uh So you're still going to have lots of room underneath your uh, pencil hackamore. Underneath your horse's jaw. It's not going to be snug. But it's going to be able to fit nice and loose underneath that bridle.
2: When you do the rein, the, the the McCarty reins that go on the bozal, what size for those? Does that ever vary, or does it always match the size of what you put under the under the bridle?
1: No, it would vary, but it would. It's going to be the same size as your hackamore. So your hackamore if it's three eighths, uh, your reins are going to be three eighths, and you're getting pretty thin on your on your size. So you want to be sure that uh, you don't start getting too too much bulk underneath there. So if your hackamore is three eighths, your range is gonna be three eighths.
2: I've seen some of your setups that have the part that excuse me, the part that goes under the bridle and some of them hang by like they go around like they have a head stall or, you know, a leather strap that goes, you know, over the crown. But then I've seen some others that you have that tie up to the forelock. Is that different? Is, is one of those only for a bridle setup, or is one of, or can you use either of those types of ways to hang the hackamore part? Can you do that with the two yeah. ring?
1: So the hanger, uh, just, just fitting around the ears um, versus having a throat latch like you would have on a bridle. Uh, there, there's different styles that some people have in, in different regions. Um, But when you tie to the forelock, that's more for just your your bostolita when the horse is straight up in the bridle. Uh, You sure don't want to tie it up. If your horse has a massive forelock, some horses just have more hair than others. Uh, If you have a lot of hair to tie to, uh, then you can get really creative. And There's a string that comes down just in front of the hackamore that uh, you can take about six to ten wraps around the forelock. But to start off with, I would get just a regular hanger like you have on your hackamore and and use that for your two-rein hackamore. That way you know it's going to be there every time. You don't have to worry about it sliding off. When your horse is straight up in the bridle, uh, that's when you would go to tine around the forelock.
2: And what about material that you use for the actual hackamore part or the bosal part? What materials do you use, or what, you know, what are your choices, and why would you choose the different ones?
1: Well, and it, it, it's a... It's very similar to your hackamore choices. You know, you've know, you got your rawhide, you've got your kangaroo, uh, but you're starting to get into the bridle, so you're starting to wean off of the hackamore. So the hackamore material uh, is going to be your choice. And since it's underneath the, the bridle, I'm uh, probably going to go with a, 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 a rawhide hackamore just because it's going to get a lot of wear up against that bridle cheek piece.
2: And then when you when you go to select your bridle, what kind of things do you look for when you're selecting your bridle?
1: Well, I want to be sure that where my headstall attaches to my bridle, uh, that the bridle loops flare out, and so they create like a little a little seat for that hackamore because uh, you don't want to have that hackamore and the bridle just pinching so hard on that horse's muzzle uh, that it becomes uncomfortable. So a lot of people. Can make about a bridle bit that those cheek pieces flare out for room for the two ring.
0: So
2: when you go to to pick a bit, what bit do you choose? Like how? I mean, is this where you start going? Well, there's you know there's 700 different kinds to choose from, and this is how you start selecting. Or when you start to go in the two range, is there kind of a, sm- a smaller range of that whole selection that you choose from?
1: Well, I'm looking more on the mouthpiece. The mouthpiece is going to be really critical, and how loose the bridle is. So, if I'm starting to introduce my horse to a bridle, I don't want to throw a, um, a spade in or, you know, something that's really got a really long cheekpiece. So, I'm looking for a bridle that if I pick it up in my hand, it's moving. It, it's got a lot of flexibility. Uh, it might have some chain connectors on the cheekpiece, uh, but I'm looking at the mouthpiece to have a pretty mild mouthpiece, like a, like a half breed or a Mona Lisa. And, and those are styles of mouthpieces. So nothing too uh, large is going to be introduced to the horse's mouth.
0: What are the difference between the mouthpieces? If that's something easy to just give sh- like short summaries on because I've heard a lot mm-hmm. of those names, but I don't have like an image that goes to it and an understanding of what each mouthpiece provides the horse.
1: Yeah, Lindsay. So with, you want to think of the mouthpiece are usually going to be a straight bar across the horse's tongue. Um, some of these bridles don't have a lot of tongue relief. And the tongue relief is when you see like a port or a, a curb in the mouthpiece. So uh, when I'm looking for a bridle, um, the half breed is anywhere between a half inch to an inch of a, a material. Uh, that's going to be sitting on top of that bar that creates room for the cricket. And so with that cricket, uh, that's where you're going to get all sorts of, you think of like a pacifier for the horse, but it's like a roller. And so whenever you have that function in the bridle, uh, you want to be sure that it's a pretty small small setup. And then the Mona Lisa just has a cover. So when you, when you think of the mouthpieces, like uh, a Mona Lisa's can vary between, they can be even taller. So you can even get up to about two inches of, of a, a cricket on a mouthpiece. But a Mona Lisa style, uh, the backside where the bridle touches the palate of the horse's mouth, uh, it's got a nice little cover. And so when you look at the bridle, it looks like the Mona Lisa. Um, and then there's other, you know, there's like a little frog mouthpiece, and it looks like a a little frog. It's uh, it's just a little bit more round. And these are all different styles that help um help you find what your horse enjoys as you're going through your bridle picking process. There's just a lot of choices with mouth mouthpieces.
0: And how do you pick which one of those, this might be a training question. So Tara, um, just let me know if this would be a better one for the next episode, but how do you know out of what you just described is the best introductory one so that it's welcoming? Like, is it pretty obvious when you're looking at them when you're at the store, you know, where you buy these of like, which which one looks friendly and inviting to start with versus which one is a little bit more advanced for your horse? Like, is it a pretty obvious visual um? progression or is it also needing to know a lot of which one is which one it is also
1: the biggest thing is you want to be looking for um something that you know that is very similar to your taste cuz a lot of this has you know some eye appeal and you know going going to the store there might be several different options and so when you you start picking one i'd uh, like put it in your hand and and hold it put it in both hands and see how much You can move it. So you want to think of the cheek pieces as being loose jawed. So there's a lot of flexibility. Your hands move. um, And so when when it's not loose jawed, it's going to be very rigid and stiff. That's for a little more advanced uh, bridle. That's going to be where a horse has already had it in their mouth. You want to have that flexibility for that forgiveness. And so with the mouthpiece, you know, something that just looks familiar to you uh, that, that wouldn't that would be inviting for you to put in your horse's mouth. It doesn't have to be something extravagant. The first bridle that I had that I used were a lot of half breeds. And so I just kept it simple and I had different style of cheek pieces. Some have a swept back cheek piece. They go back to the horse's uh, neck and some cheek pieces go straight down. So the straight down bridle uh, has a little bit quicker action. When the cheek piece is swept back to the rider's hands, it curves what I mean by sweat back at curves, uh, it has a little softer signal. And so with the mouthpiece, if you just stick with the half breed, uh, that's going to be a good introduction mouthpiece, and the, the cheekpiece is going to be up to uh, the, the person's taste.
0: And you were saying that there's a lot of eye appeal, so I know there's a lot of silver work on the sides and everything. Are the bits made of also like what is the actual bit material made of that goes inside the horse's mouth? Is that silver too, or what kind of? metal
1: is that yeah so you want to you know obviously you want to have something that fits your budget and you know they can get pretty extravagant with uh the work and the prices and there's some really nice uh intricate pieces out there um for the most part if, if you're unsure uh you could start off with a stainless steel bridle and and it's never going to rust uh but it's a it's a low quality, material that's going to last you a long time i say it won't rust but it'll it'll help you get into the game of of introducing your horse to a bridle bit and getting the feel and and the function Uh, but yes most of them uh bridle cheek pieces have a lot of uh, nice silver on there and it takes a lot of work to get all that taken care of but it's the best kind of mouthpiece that goes in the horse's mouth is an iron that iron will rust and there's the horses just seem to work their mouth a lot more. They and it has to go with the cricket too. Uh, the cricket, the cricket. If it's uh, some of them can be copper, some of them can be you know hard metal. Uh, most of them, if you can find something that's an iron, you can talk to the bit maker if if you want to go buying a really nice piece. But whatever goes in the horse's mouth, um, when they're working their mouth, you want to start seeing a lot of saliva and and you know if they're foaming on the side of their mouth. They're obviously working their mouth quite a bit. It's not a a displaced behavior by them working their tongue on the cricket. It's just them enjoying the taste of the bridle, enjoying that in their mouth, and getting their mouth nice and moist. That's what the cricket helps with. So the material you want to look for is, is a hard iron.
2: When you talk about the cricket that's in the bridle, does every bridle bit have a cricket? Do some of them not have one?
1: Yeah, there's different styles. And so usually uh, you want to have a cricket that you can hear. And, and the whole point of the cricket was to, to give the rider an indication of the horse's behavior at that time. If they're just rolling that cricket, and the cricket, you know, sometimes has a clicking noise. Um, and the reason they're rolling it, uh, it lets you know uh, their state of mind. And so if they're really, really rolling it fast, uh, they might be really tense, really nervous, uh, really wound, uh, whereas if they just have a nice, steady roll to it, they're pretty settled. Uh, so the cricket uh, was a good signal as a, a good opportunity for the horse to have something to play with. And so now nowadays, you could look at in, – in, in years past, too, you can see bridles that had all sorts of rollers along. When you get into the spade bit, uh, you've got a brace that supports that, uh, taller spade and spades can get anywhere between two inches to four and a half inches tall. Um, and so you want to have a brace that supports it. Uh, but sometimes they'll have rollers, little copper rollers, like little beads, looks like a little bracelet. You know how you put uh, little beads through a bracelet, uh, for a little school project. You can put those along your braces and that'll help roll as the tongue is moving, and usually those are made out of copper, uh, sometimes there's just a few rings in there. They're not very thick, uh, but they're just something for the horses to play with. Um, and But I like to have a cricket that I can hear, so when I pick that bridle up off the shelf, I'm going to run that cricket over my the palm of my hand uh, to simulate a tongue, and I want to hear uh, the volume of it. If it's really quiet, I, I may put that bridle back. If it's got a nice little roll to it, I might be a little more interested in it because I want to have a going back to the material. Lindsay, you want to have a good, strong uh, bridle that's going to last you for a while. So I like to hear uh, that cricket rolling. Um, It's just a neat sound. It's enjoyable. uh, It's just neat to hear the horse thinking and and feeling off that bridle. Uh, But there's a lot of different uh, types of crickets. They can just be like a little ring or several rings or just a little roller. So some of them are mute. Some of them you won't be able to hear. That's just the way the maker made them. Uh, but like I said, I like to look for one. As I run over my palm, it has a nice click to it.
2: I was thinking about when we went into what all the pieces are that go into a 2 range setup. It's like we're also covering the hackmore pieces, and now we're starting to cover the bridle pieces, which is a whole new level. So I know it's it can be really involved when you start to put together your two rain setup. So what about the the last piece now is the reins? What do you look for when you go to select your reins?
1: So the two rain setup, you've already traveled through your hackamore setup, so you've been able to feel uh, the proger- progression of how you use your reins, uh, the weight of the reins and and what you might prefer. So you want to look at this two rain hackamore is just a mini me of the hackamore. and so, um, when you are looking for those reins, you might go through the same process you did with your hackamore. Uh, you want to get those reins and feel them. Uh, some of them might be horse hair. Some of them might be mane hair. So th- there's a, there's a softness to them with when they're, uh, mane, they're not as prickly as horse hair. Uh, cause a lot of horse hair have some, you know, goat hair put in and it's just a little more coarse. Uh, but again, then again, you also have your, there's a few um, alpaca reins that I've seen that are really small. Uh, the biggest thing, it's it's a very thin rain uh, that you're going to use. I don't want to use the word emergency, uh, but you're going to use it to support your bridle. Uh, so you're going to be using it quite a bit. So find a rein that really fits your needs, fits your, your style. I say style because the color, it might match the color of your horse. Uh, if you get a horsehair, there's lots of different um, color differentiations. Uh, but as far as the material, I would look for something that's, you know, something natural, something like a, a horsehair. I haven't seen too many parachute cord two reins, uh, but I know they're out there, and they're just really thin. And that's what I want to be looking for. It's just a mini me of my hackamore. Some people like to have the same setup as they had in the hackamore, and they get matching sets. Um, so you could also go down that road because those reins come in all your, different sizes. Sorry. And
2: what about your? Sorry. What about your bridle reins? What do you? What's your next step when you choose your bridle reins? Because now you got to have those too.
1: Yep. So for your two reign, you want to be sure you know using your Rommel setup. Um, you know, Rommels are a totally different feel to your hackleware reins. Um, and and again, there's. Lots of different styles of Rommel reins, and you can go with split reins. You can, um, you know, you can, I know there's a a cost um, scenario here too. So getting all this new equipment, uh, you might need to space it out. So uh, looking for rawhide reins, uh, there's different plats. So there's when a braider makes these reins, they cut these strings, and the thicker the strings the less they have to braid the thinner, the strings, the more time, the more work goes into. So that's where you'll see a 12 plat, sorry, an eight plat, a 12 plat, a 16 plat, a 32 and a 64. That they get really, really intricate in some of these rains. I would look for a lower plat rain, uh, like an eight to a 12, 12 are getting pretty nice and you're going to start paying probably pretty more a premium for a 12 plat rain, but, um looking for a nice set of hackamore reins. There's some parachute cord braided uh, Rommel reins out there. Uh, but you're looking for a set of Rommel reins uh, that you can complement your two-rein hackamore setup with.
2: And do you, when you're in the two-rein, do you connect your reins directly to the bridle? Or do you prefer to use like chain connectors or leather connectors? Or is that for later when you're in the bridle?
1: Lots of different styles. You know, you want to check the length of your romel reins. They come in uh, various sizes, and that depends on your horse's neck. If you've got a short horse or a short-necked horse, uh, once you start adding rein chains, and what rein chains do, they they connect to the bridle and your reins, and uh, they add length. And so, if you have really long rein chains, and, and a long rein chain would be anywhere between uh, eight to twelve inches. Um, that can really extend your reins so when you go to rope pick up a a nice feel for your horse or you know if you open the gate and got to check your horse um, you start getting a lot of reins in your hand. so how i attach my romeo reins to my bit depend on the length of my rein the length of the horse that i'll be using um there's some nice leather connectors out there that's a little um less expensive way to go about it and they're a little bit easier to replace um so if i'm introducing my horse to it i've got a rein setup uh that i've actually cut the chains uh to four inches so they they still get the signal with the reins they get the signal piece with the rein chains, um but i don't have those rein chains swinging because if they're really long as you're riding along an offside rein chain can swing underneath and get hung up on the bridle so you you know, and that just introducing your horse to the whole setup, uh, I want to be sure that it's a nice, easy transition. The horse is getting used to the bridle and the weight of the reins swinging. And so um, there's lots of different options uh, that you can connect your reins to. And some people just there, – there's a hobble on Rommel reins that you can attach right to the bridle as well. So I've got a set of reins that are eight feet. They're four foot long on each rein. And they're very long, so I just attach that straight to the bridle. I'll do that if um, I'm just getting a horse that is really large with probably 16 hands or higher. Uh, it's got a long neck that I want to introduce to the bridle. And then I'll, I'll just put those and connect them to my bridle, and that'll, that'll be my setup for my 2 rein that day. But there's lots of, lots of different options to get your bridle rein set up. So that's the neat thing about this is you can find different fields and different, uh, sequences that you enjoy, uh, that you find, uh, that you can help progress with your horse.
2: Well, thanks for going through all the, all the things that go into getting the two reins set up and what to look for. Uh, next time we're going to go through and talk about, um, sort of how to use and, train with the two rain, and what to look for as you're going through the progression of training. Do you have any horses that you have in the two rain, or that you're looking to put into the two rein?
1: Um I'm looking for next year. And so next year I'll have some six year olds um, that will start getting them started. So they're starting to decrease in their size on their hackamores uh, so that we can start getting the feel of going to that smaller hackamore. Um, But, yeah, I've got a couple that I'm really looking forward to putting them in.
2: Great. We'll talk about those next time. Thanks,
1: Trevor. Awesome. You bet.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that when you start learning, you can easily be overwhelmed by all the options and all the choices. But then, you know, once you start to just kind of keep listening and see some more of it, then it starts to become you know, at least can start to put the things into their little boxes. And so what I was, you know, listening to all of those things when Trevor was talking about it, I thought, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, I forgot that you got to include that. But you know, really it's like he says, it's a mini version of your hackamore. And then you start to pick what it is you're going to do for your bridal setup. So I think the two ring can be kind of an overwhelming piece, but it's just because it's, it's a transition from the hackamore to the bridle. And so it starts to include, include everything. So
0: I'm sure it also helps like when you start using more of them and you're training in them to feel more comfortable. I just get so worried about making a mistake and then being so invested in what, what you just bought. Cause it's also a huge commitment on that, on the financial end of it too, to just buy all that really nice gear and just to know why you're using it and how you're using it and that you're serving your horse and not doing something that's taking away. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I like about Trevor's approach is
2: sometimes, you know, people can be very, you must do this and then you must do that and then you must do this. You know, Trevor is all about as long as your heart is in the right place, you know, you can experiment a little and see what makes sense for you and your horse. And you know, do those things. But also I think well, if you're really interested in the bridal horse traditions and you look for someone who wants to help you, I mean, they want for these traditions to continue, you know, they want for these traditions to grow. And so I think for the most part, it would be easy to find someone who would be willing to help guide you and to let you borrow their equipment, you know, under their guidance usually, because like you say, it is such an investment to help you kind of decide, uh, you know, two things. One, which one your horse likes and two, you know, what what options are out there for you. So then of course, on top of that, you still have to think about saddle fit. And so that's one of the nice things about, uh, the total saddle fit shoulder relief cinch is that that sort of takes one less thing to think about away. It's, they also have the perfect saddle pads, which apparently is about to rock your world. You can see info on their page at totalsaddlefitcom slash perfect. It's a 100% wool felt western pad that has three super key features. One, totally open and free wither freedom cutback. Two, full open and vented spine channel. Three, designed with seamless optional fitting shim pockets to dial in saddle fit. I know shimming can be kind of uh, a challenge sometimes, but we've really seen it help a lot of horses. It's available in three sizes, 28 barrel slash rounded or a 30 and a 32 square free shipping, and their use it and abuse it guarantee where you can ride it for 30 days and still return it for a full refund if you don't like it. Well, thank you again for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our events or challenges, you can contact me via carterranchhorse.com. To reach Lindsay, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and use the contact button. You can also find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com.
0: You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go and with our free app for the iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also listen on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. And speaking of iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review your favorite podcasts. Five-star reviews help others find the shows.